Welcome back to Freedom Fridays. In this episode of Freedom Fridays, we're going to continue sort of the topic we talked about the last two. We talked about baptism. Does baptism, is baptism required for your salvation? We talked about last time baptism. What is baptism really then? And why do I need to be baptized? Now we're going to move on to the other of the ordinances that have been given to the church, and that is communion. So what is communion or the Lord's Supper, and what is is its significance? Now, the instance of the formation of the Lord's Supper or communion is in all four of the Gospels. We're only going to go to one of them today, but it's in all four of them, but they're all an account of the same thing. So we didn't need the repetition of going through the same thing four times with a, a few minor differences in viewpoint as to what, you know, somebody's different perspective. Uh, Matthew chapter 26 is the one we're going to go through, starting in verse 17. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the certain in the, into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is near. I am to keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. The disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. So it started with the Passover meal, and this is right before the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Verse 20, Now when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve disciples. As they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, that one of you will betray me. Being deeply grieved, they each one began to say, Surely not I, Lord. And he answered, He who dipped his hand with me in the bowl is the one who will betray me. The Son of Man is to go, just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And Judas, who was betraying him, said, Surely it, it is not I, Rabbi. Jesus said to him, You have said it yourself. Verse 26, While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing he broke it and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. That is the situation and circumstance that forms what we now call communion or the Lord's Supper. Jesus was giving them, again, another word picture, which he does constantly throughout his ministry with the parables and um, baptism, as we talked about last week, is a picture of his death, burial, and resurrection. This is a picture of his sacrifice. And so you have the bread 
and the the wine or the juice or whatever you happen to have that signifies the blood. And um, do I think it's significant that it has to be wine? There's nothing about um, alcohol that ha- that makes it more significant than grape juice. Um, or honestly, grape Kool-Aid doesn't make it any less significant. As long as it's a, a red type of drink, which what red drink did they have around most plentiful then is wine from grapes. So that's what he used because that was signifying his blood. The the broken bread was was signifying his broken body, that his body would be broken for us. Now remember, his bones were not broken. None of his bones were broken, but his body was broken. His body was broken in multiple ways on the cross. Uh, his body was broken when they put the nails in his um, hands and his feet. His body was broken when they shoved the crown of thorns into his brow. His body was broken when they beat him with the cat of nine tails before the crucifixion. His body was broken specifically and pierced specifically when they pier- when they threw the the where they they thrust the the um, spear into his side and blood and water flowed out. Um, and so he was signifying that his body would be broken for them. And indeed it was. And then that his blood would be shed, which is significant in the Old Testament because the blood is where the life is. In fact, after the flood, when, um, Noah is told by God that they can now eat animals and not just vegetables and fruits. God says, you can only do that if you drain the blood, because the life is in the blood. And so there's a significance there that his life was, was uh, that he died for us, and his life, his blood was shed for us. And it, of course, through all of the same things that we just talked about, his blood was shed as well as as his body being broken and pierced and etc. And this is this blood seals, he says, a new covenant. There's the old covenant of the law. The new covenant is through grace and faith. Uh, which is really based on the promise before the old covenant. But the new covenant is is a covenant in his blood, that his blood is what pays the penalty for our sins, not the blood of bulls and goats and rams and all sorts of other things. And so that's where communion comes from. That's its significance. But there's some other things that we need to remember around communion that is very important. This is not something to be taken lightly. 1 Corinthians 5, verses 7 and 8, he says, Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump. Now, he's talking about somebody personally and cleaning out their sin. Just as you are, in fact, unleavened, For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, the feast of Passover or or the uh, Lord's Supper at this point, not 
with old leaven, not nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now, I'm not going to go into whether your bread that you use for communion can have yeast or not. Um, I don't, you know, it was unleavened bread in the Passover. That There are some, some significances to that of their rush out of Egypt, and etc. But that's not the biggest part. The biggest part is realizing that the broken bread is about the broken body of Jesus. And because of his broken body, we can now live new. And so we need to make sure that we're not just taking this willy-nilly, but this is significant because this is about his sacrifice for us. This is not something to be taken lightly. This is something that is... It is heavy, and it is something to be taken very seriously. First uh, Corinthians chapter ten, beginning in verse sixteen, is the cup is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ. Now, he's not saying that you somehow get more of the blood of Christ or you get more of the body of Christ in you and ingest that and somehow you become more holy because of that. He's saying that we are participating in picture with what Jesus has already done. So this whole idea that by taking communion, you are now gaining grace from God is not in Scripture anywhere. Um, it, or that you're now more holy because of it. It is a picture. It, it, it's a word picture. It's something that he's trying to get us to be able to remember. In fact, Jesus said, do it in remembrance of him. Verse 17, since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Now, do we still have the same bread? Obviously not. But it, we, we partake in the same ordinance, the same, um, the same actions. And so we are doing that for the same purpose. And so we need to be unified in that. Look at the nation Israel. Are, those, are not those who eat the sacrifices sharers in the altar? What do I mean? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, but I say that the things which are the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to be sharers in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We are not stronger than he, are we? Now, is he saying here you can take communion to demons? No, he's not talking about that. That's not the context that he's talking about. What he's saying here is that we are participating with God. And so when we come to this table, we need to take it very seriously. Because we are remembering Christ. This is a solemn action. When our Lord and Savior had to die for our sins, that's not a fun thing. Um, it, the result can bring joy, but the act itself was absolutely horrific. And so there is some solemnity to this that we need to 
make sure that we are trying to cleanse ourselves of, uh, rid ourselves of any sin through repentance uh, before we do this. And he talks further about that in the next chapter, in chapter 11, beginning in verse 17. He says, but in giving this instruction, I do not praise you because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in this, in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that division exists among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. So they're coming together, and they're coming together as a church, and in that day and age, they celebrated communion regularly, every week, because they were so close to this resurrection. They wanted to remember it. They didn't, they wanted the significance to be part of their life. Verse 20, therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this, I will not praise you. He's saying when you come together as a church to observe the Lord's Supper, you need to do it properly. And it's not that the ritual is what he's talking about. And he goes on to talk about the Lord's Supper and where it came from and and such which we've already talked about, but he's ta- his, his significance is not in the ritual, it's in the heart. Don't do it out of malice or out of disdain for other people. Instead, you should be uh, doing having the same mind as Christ did with humility, where he served others. He served us, and we should serve others. Down in verses 27 through the end of the chapter, Therefore, whoever eats the bread and or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. I don't think he could have said that in any stronger words. Being guilty of the body and the blood of Christ. That's significant. He says, you need to take this very seriously. And he tells you exactly what to do then. Verse 28, but a man must examine himself. Now, man, mankind here. So don't get bent over whether it's a man or a woman that a woman doesn't need to do this. Yes, she does. Everybody does. But a man needs must examine himself. And in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself he does not, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep or are dead, because they mistreated the Lord's Supper and the significance of the body and the blood of Christ. And he says, this is very serious. And again, 1 Corinthians is all about correcting an erring church. And so he is giving these corrections, which are also a warning to us today to make sure we take this very seriously. Verse 31, for if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. 
So if you approach this in a proper manner, as it is intended to be, that in solemnness, you're looking at the crucifixion of our Lord that paid for the penalty of your sins and mine. And so out of reverence, we are repenting and turning from our sins and getting them out and taking care of that ahead of time as we come into this. He says, then you won't be judged by it. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. So again, humility. Verse 34, if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that he will not come together for judgment. The remaining matters I will arrange when I come. So if you have a problem with another person, Take care of it before you take the Lord's Supper, because this is a very serious thing. Now, as he shows here, he's saying, he's also letting us know that this is an ordinance, again, given to the local church. As he's dealing with a local church here, and he says, this is for the church. And when you come together as a church, now, when I say a church, I'm not talking about the building. The building is not a church. The building is the meeting place of the church. The local church is the body of believers in that, um, in that uh, saved, baptized group of individuals. And we'll talk about that whole thing in another podcast. But, um, this is given to the local church. So this is not something we just do at home um, with our family from time to time. This is something to be done as a group of believers together as a church. And know your home family is not a group of believers that are a organized church in the New Testament fashion. We will talk about that another day. Thank you for tuning in to Freedom Fridays. Thank you.